Hello, friends. I hope this podcast finds you in, well, a reasonably good place. Well, as good as it can be during this pandemic. Now, as a broadcaster, I struggle if I want to talk to you about COVID-19 or completely ignore it because we have all heard it before and we need a distraction. Well, hope tonight's episode gives you a bit of a distraction. My guest is Jeff Rickett, one of my nearest and dearest friends and I'm sure you'll be able to tell that during the interview. Let's get to it. <laughs> I was born in North Las Vegas Hospital. I was like the only white kid in the hospital. So I was the only non-racist white kid that was born you know in vegas at the time because i didn't know any different but yes the nurse was black i think my mom was the only white lady in the entire place we had no money i lived in las vegas till i was nine then my parents got a divorce and my mom was from the beautiful glorious town of buffalo wyoming so that's where we got relocated so how did your parents well, meet, how'd they get to Vegas? How, how'd they meet, first of all? They actually were kind of high school sweethearts, kind of. Uh, I think they, they might have dated some in high school. I don't know. But my dad got kicked out of high school. He got thrown out of high school when he was 17. And he was so brilliant that he decided, well, I'm just going to get drafted anyway. So I might as well just go enlist in the Army, nonetheless. So they shipped his ass to Vietnam. <laughs> And he lasted there for, well, I, I think he was in for four years. He might have got out a little early. I don't remember that. But, uh, yeah, so that's, they knew each other from Buffalo, Wyoming. Were they both from Wyoming? She was from Wyoming. Your dad was from Buffalo? No. Where is he from originally? His parents were from Miles City, Montana. Because uh, my mom's parents, my mom's dad, was from the Basque country. His parents immigrated over here from the Pyrenees Mountains. So that's where we get our Basque heritage and culture and all that. Cause my dad or my grandpa was a full blood Basco. And, but my grandma, I don't know where the hell my grandma was from. Uh, Cause she was German or she is German. My grandma's still alive. And uh, yeah, I don't know where my grandma was from. She might've been from Nebraska or something, but, but she was from Buffalo too, or they met in Buffalo. But uh, my, gr- my grandma has a really crazy story. Her mom, like, died when she had her, and then somebody else raised her, and then oh, wow. she went and lived with somebody else. It was just like, so you, were, you never knew who the hell my grandma's mom kind of was. Yeah. But, yeah, but my, gra- my grandpa's parents, they were both full-blood Bascos. That's, I didn't know my great-grandpa. He was gone when I was born, but. My great-grandma, she was a full-blood Basco and lived in Buffalo. What is a Basque? Basco? What is, what Basque is that? People are from the Pyrenees Mountains in, on the border of France and Spain. There's a mountain range, and they're all sheep herders. So you either live on the French side or the Spanish side. So you're there, or the Spain side. So you're either Spanish Basque or French Basque. And we were French Bascos, and they all... There was so much war and chaos. There still is. They, they have like religious unrest. They hate each other. So they just sit there and fight for no freaking reason at all anymore just to fight. And uh, for whoever gets the 
hunk of rock, but they all immigrated over here and kind of like homesteaded in Buffalo because, you know, they have the bighorn mountains and they all brought their sheep and they all became sheep herders. That reminds me, Norwegians, they went all through northern the United States, North Dakota, Minnesota. That's my heritage. Mm-hmm. So it's weird. I'm like, you chose the most coldest tundra to live in. I mean, Buffalo's beautiful. I get why people would move yeah, there and just crack up with my Norwegians. But it's just because it's like there's nobody there. Yeah, there's nobody yeah, there. Nobody there. There's still Land, nobody there. Land was cheap and they could yeah. farm and all that stuff. Yeah, that's why my relatives, I got that one. So do you have memories of Las Vegas growing up there? I mean, oh, yeah. you said you're probably the only white kid. And oh, wait. We didn't have any money. We lived in a – our neighborhood now is all Hispanics. And, like, you don't want to go there after dark. Okay. Our houses are just a rundown piece of shit. I went and looked at it, like, 10 years ago, last time I was in Vegas. And I called my mom out in front of the house. And I was like, Mom, I'm standing outside in front of our house. And she's like, what? You get the hell out of there. <laughs> like, oh, it's like a 1030 in the morning. There's people doing construction two doors down. Get out of there. You're going to get shot. You know, <laughs> like, no, nah, don't, don't worry about it. Uh, so we kind of stood there and reminisced so, for a minute. Yeah, it's just a total shit. Oh, there's, there was like a camper topper on the roof with all the windows <laughs> busted out. And all the windows have like blankets on them. And it's, it's a little square brick, one-story house is what we had it wasn't pretty to begin with but uh yeah so i mean we didn't we didn't have much in vegas but we we always lived outside we lived kind of on a cul-de-sac so we played baseball we played basketball we lived outside we had roller skated we built shit we burnt ants you know we we built mud tracks out in the backyard we were always outside so yeah i remember a lot going and the guy sam ayala was a guy across the street he was a Hispanic family. His, you know, his parents didn't speak a lick of English. A uh, couple of doors down, there was a kid named Jason who was younger than us. But his parents, his dad was in the military because Vegas has the, you know, the Air Force Academy. Or yeah. So there was a lot of Air Force people around there. And my brother, most of his friends were all African-Americans and they lived in the projects and they all got bussed to the school, which the school was literally like two blocks away from our house. So we walked over there. But a lot of uh, Paul's, because Paul was four years older than me, uh, came over to school we had a we had a a riot we had a mass like fight in our front yard when i was a kid the cops came it was all like the hispanic white there was like some white trash kids down at the end of the block that thought they were cool and and paul's friends that would come over and they'd walk by his house you know somebody said something to somebody and then shit at the fan in our house and my parents were gone which my dad was gone all the time anyway, but my mom was gone. There was a babysitter there and they all ran in the house after the fight and I was stuck outside. They forgot about me. So I, uh-huh. I had to go. There was a little brick. I don't know why. So you still, there's still some houses around here that have them there. There was just like a little brick wall. that was like three foot by four foot in front of your door for no reason. And there was like uh-huh. a bush in front of that. And I was wedged in between the wall and that bush. Huh. shivering so that the kids wouldn't kick me. I mean, I, I was probably, you know, in first or second grade, so I wasn't really a threat to them at that time, but uh, yeah. So some glory days of Las Vegas. So you're nine, your brother's 13. 
when you guys, your parents split up and like a lot of us from our generation, I'm divorced parents. My parents split up about, uh, I was six, but I think the divorce lasted a little bit longer than that. And uh, so your parents split up, your mom takes you and your brother to Buffalo. Yeah. Where's your dad go? Does he stay in Vegas? Stays in Vegas. Yeah. How long does he stay in Vegas for? Oh, probably four to six more years, maybe. Then he moves to Florida. And he moves down to Florida. And so you're in Buffalo, Wyoming. You're a Las Vegas kid. But you had, had you been there before because of relatives? Yeah, and such? we'd been there before. And actually, we were there, which is the weird thing, is we were there visiting my grandparents. And my dad called my mom and who knows what happened and i remember her saying that we're never we're never going back home well, uh, yeah wow. so i literally was in buffalo Wyoming. i never went back got my stuff ever went back and saw my house again until i went back and saw it as a total hunk of shit sitting there left everything and yeah and, and that, i think it was like 22 years later is when i went and saw it wow Wow. That's my touching, my touching tale of divorce of just utter. Wow. And yeah. And, and uh, your uncle Phil and I are going to go get all our stuff and we're going to run a U-Haul and bring it back. Oh, okay. I was like, I thought it was, your mom was like, well, that's it. You're totally. No, they actually went. Yeah. yeah okay. But still. Yeah. There was no, there was no closure. There was no, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was just like, yeah. okay, you're in Buffalo. You're not leaving. Wow. wow. Okay. So yeah, North Vegas is a hundred times bigger than Buffalo, Wyoming. So how'd you fit in, you and your brother? Oh, it was, it was a little different. It was weird that we could leave the block, you know, because in Vegas you didn't leave your block. You know, you rode your bike to the end of the block, you turn around, you came back. <laughs> you rode it to yeah, the end yeah, of the block, yeah. turn around, you came back. <laughs> and in Buffalo, you could, you could, you know ride around everywhere nobody cared people were nice they waved to you i mean it was a total culture shock there was no there was no hispanic people there was no african-american <laughs> yeah. people everybody was white uh, yeah yeah it was just in that sense it was a little weird but it was it was it was cool i didn't really fit in when i moved there because it was small town wyoming and i was this kid from las vegas so the guys didn't want to, I had, I actually had a girlfriend in fourth grade. Yeah. I, I, I hung out with the girls, you know, like <laughs> year I was there, which wasn't a bad thing really. But yeah, the guys, it was a little rough. I kept getting, you know, they kept saying like I had to get initiated or I had to do something <laughs> dumb or, and I, I wasn't up to doing whatever they had me to do. Being, being dumb. So did you like grow up in sports, uh, other activities? I know you're a wrestling fan. How'd you get into wrestling? I got into wrestling and, and actually Pro wrestling. Dad, that is. Yeah. Professional wrestling, sports yeah. entertainment wrestling yeah. back when we watched it. My dad used to take us to in Vegas, they would tape AWA. They would tape gorgeous ladies oh, in yes. wrestling and it was free. We were broke. So anything, you know, you could go to that was free and it was kind of like going to the circus. It was at Circus Circus, I think, or one of the hotels. Might have been Golden Nugget. I I, I'd have to look it up. Have you watched Glow on? I haven't uh, watched Glow. I I watched it. It's pretty good. Is it? Yeah, I need to 
check it out because and because I, I was there. Yeah, you know, I was one of the people in the yeah. state. I swear, season one, I, we probably because they would film back then. They'd film you know three or four episodes in one shot. Yeah, and AWA was sweet because we saw Sergeant Slaughter, Kurt Henning, the Road Warriors, Larry Zabisco. I mean, everybody. Uh, Arn Anderson. That was know. free. It was free. Nice. It was the TV tapings. Nice. I so watched we, a lot of those. Yeah. Cool. I mean, we saw a Great American Bash that wasn't free, but it was yeah. probably, you know, eight bucks or something. And we got Jim Ross's autograph. Nice. I think on my ticket or program, but I don't, I don't have it. I remember me and Paul standing there waiting to get his autograph and we got his autograph and there was a scaffold match with the road warriors against the Russians. It was wow. Ivan, was that Nikita Koloff and yeah, Nikita Koloff and Ivan Koloff. And there was a nice. third one, the bald guy, whatever the hell. Yeah. I can't remember his name. Yeah. What hit, yeah. It, was, it was flair and dusty. Yeah. Like that, you know, it was back in, it was like, it was like 84. It might've been the last 83, 82. It was back one of the last years I was there. But uh, yeah, I always would like to see, and I don't know if there's, there's gotta be something, especially, well, I don't know. Maybe nowadays I'll have to go back and look on the WWE network if they, cause I don't know if it was NWA, if it was. Well, that sounds like NWA right there. Yeah, you're I don't think. Subscribing. The yeah. Great American Bash was, but AWA recorded everything there. I remember watching all those, either watching them on classic wrestling on ESPN or catch them on the network once they bought everything. That's what you do. Yeah, AWA is pretty much all in Vegas. Yeah. But NWA, it was it was kind of, it was kind of the beginning of you know the big pay per views because it was the Great American Bash and it was like at the Thomas and Mack Center or the nice. Vegas Convention Center. It was at one of the. It wasn't at the Showboat. Showboat. It was kind of like ooh, this is like a bigger deal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we. I grew up on Portland wrestling. My stepsister. She was my sister to then, but yeah, my dad's girlfriend's daughter is like, you've never watched Portland wrestling and watched it one Saturday night. And it was awesome. And I knew WWF existed, but I, it was never in my radar as much. And then, so I started checking out wrestling mags and that was pretty much the connection to what you were watching it down there in Vegas and everything. And then we ended up going to WWF event. And I was like, this is about 100,000 times better production value than Portland Wrestling ever was. But Portland Wrestling was like a $5 ticket as opposed to the WWE barely came to Portland. But yeah, I got to see like Macho Man and Tito Santan, the Bulldogs. The main event, I'll never forget it, was tag team match, Hart Foundation versus the Bulldogs. I think Jimmy Hart was running around the outside. Hart Foundation wins. It was for the titles. It was not on TV, so Heart Foundation wins. But, yeah. So, do... Okay, your brother, he's a wrestling fan as well, too, so that probably helped growing up a fan yeah. of the sport and everything. Um, how were you... Did, once your teenage years hit in Buffalo, were you, like, you know, rebellious? Good student? Did you get into mischief? Were you playing sports? Oh, I played, I, I quit playing sports after my freshman year. I quit playing football and basketball and I started golfing when I was like wow. a sophomore or junior. Yeah. Because golfing, you could like, after you got on like hole three, you could start smoking cigarettes. 
<laughs> we, we smoked cigarettes back then so you kind of smoke cigarettes you could even drink a beer every now and then if you really got sneaky but yeah. uh, and you didn't have to run and i was sick and tired of running that's what that's why I, I quit doing football because they wanted me to be an offensive lineman after i was like <laughs> running back or quarterback or playing something cool now they're like oh well nobody wants to be a lineman and you're kind of a big bigger kid or you don't care you know what or whatever you'd be a lineman. i was like no hardest guys on the field yeah i'm not i'm not uh <laughs> gonna sit here and work my ass off to do nothing so i quit playing football and basketball was the same way I, I rode the pine and i was like well after well even the freshman year i was always playing there was a school below my house and there was courts on there and i was like blacktop champion nice. in buffalo i ruled the courts on the blacktop my brother i don't think he's beat me since 1989 <laughs> in basketball and he won't i'll call him out on every once in a while and when he's you know thinking he's all tough shit i'll be like when was the last time you beat me in basketball about 1989 when was that i'll have to get him on the show uh, (laughs) confirm that but then he'll start he'll want to start wrestling or something (laughs) just tackles you right there on the court tackle me or, or something but yeah i so i i wasn't I wasn't really that into sports. I don't know why. Maybe because I was in a single parent house. My brother was gone. Realization started hitting. I started working. So I worked at the, the dash in. Oh, the dash. Pretty much about full time. Yeah. Uh, it always comes full circle one way or the other. But uh, yeah, so I, I, don't, I don't know. That was golf was pretty much it for me in, at the end of my high school days. Nice. So grade-wise, good student, average student, pretty shitty student. I was average student. I didn't give a shit about high school. Yeah. I could care less about high school. I hated high school. So, yeah, makes sense. Well, I would too if I moved from Las Vegas, Buffalo. I probably... <laughs> I, was, I liked high school. I got along with everybody in high school. I wasn't, I wasn't a jock. I wasn't a, a redneck. I wasn't a loser. I wasn't a Kirby. You know, we called all the stoners or losers Kirby's because they hung out on the curb. But I was friends with everybody. Yeah. Because yeah. when I was when I was in like seventh or eighth grade, I hung out with with the quarterback of the football team in the high school. Was my next door neighbor when I all through until like eighth grade. So yeah. we were friends from sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. So, you know, we were always cool. Uh, that and he and he was a stud on the basketball team too, and the other guys on the basketball team because I played until I was a freshman. I knew all those guys, you know, all the loser guys. I was kind of friends with or whatever anyway. So we were all friends. So it was kind of, you know, I, I you know, I, I never was worried or I never. Maybe that's why I was such a dick too, is because I did get along with everybody, or I could get away with more. Or I never really worried about anybody getting too bad at me because nobody hated me that bad. That was male. Yeah, that was male. There you go. <laughs> Women. Yeah, like I probably didn't like Larry Mutel my senior year of high school. It was definitely a big trip to me. And I just want to be back in Oregon. And that was really, I could, but I wasn't going to live with my dad at the time. We were not on the same page. And uh, probably saved me from getting into a lot of shit. I'm sure you too probably saved you from getting into a lot of crap in Las Vegas as opposed to Buffalo. How much real world crap can you get into there? And uh, 
So, but yeah, I hated it. But yet I was, I was in with a lot of people, but yet I, cause I played sports, but doesn't mean I always wanted to hang out with the athletes. They were, you know, I big fish, small pond kind of thing. And uh, so like my best friend in high school was a bass player and I didn't drink. I didn't do anything and anything like that. I didn't get into the wild stuff. I just had to be an athlete because that was my ticket out of Laramie, Wyoming, which I never left. Well, I did kind of eventually, but it was interesting. You're still uh, so rude. Yeah, I know. I left for like three years. So, uh, yeah. So, you're... The thing in Buffalo, yeah. which is probably half the reason why I didn't get... I mean, I would go and do a lot of things, but I wouldn't tear it up really. Or I wouldn't drink my, my, my former stepbrother who was like my brother's age. So I was seeing this happen. He got like 11 MIPs. Damn. When, yeah, when he was in high school or when, before he was 21 or before he was 18, it was, it was ridiculous. So I was seeing this when I was like 12 to probably 15 or something, you know, seeing all this go down the cops, bringing him home, you know, my parents just a wreck because this is how, you know, my mom, you know, it was just, uh, so that might've been one of the reasons because in high school, I was like the one thing, well, the two things I wasn't going to do is get a, is knock a chick up, which was one of my goals. And my second goal was to not get an MIP. So I really didn't in, in like every party in Buffalo, cause we live in Wyoming. Buffalo has had like 3,500 people and yeah. 30 cops and they know everything that's going on. So when you're having a party, every party gets busted or, you know, gets busted up. I mean, back then they weren't as gung ho as they are now, but they still still, were. There was a present. Yeah. They they still were. And if you were hammered or they were out to get you or, you know, and I wasn't, you know, cause I wasn't a jock and I wasn't, so I I kind of fled or I was real fast. So I I fled (laughs) the scene a lot of time and I wasn't drinking a lot of the time, but uh, yeah. So that, that might've been the reason too, is because I saw all the, what happens to you. And he, he lived every summer until he was like 21. And I think he got busted again or something in jail every summer for like three months. It was just, it was like, uh, it's the last thing you want to do. So yeah, that might've set me straight. Yeah. I get, I had some things. My parents made me wait. Yeah. My parents, um, my mom and stepdad, they, um, I think they might've met in a bar. And so they're fans of the bar. And that made me not so much of a fan because I became built-in babysitter. And so I saw kind of the, I've seen my stepdad drunk, passed out. I said, yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to do that. And I also saw friends, they would get all wasted. And I thought they could be better athletes if they didn't drink. So I was kind of like all team. And then, yeah, it changed. Um, yeah, and I wasn't going to knock up a girl get, or get an MIP. I saw a lot of that going on, you know. Not necessarily knocking up part, but people would be like, oh, I got MIP. I'm like, you're in high school, man. I saved mine for at least when I was like 20. My mom put the fear of God in me there because my go. mom got uh, knocked up when she was in high school. So that that was always her words of wisdom. Yeah, I bet. Especially two sons. Like, <laughs> yeah, and two, and two boys. Yeah, I mean, like, don't you, do it. It's not it. It's gonna ruin your life. It's gonna ruin your life. So, speak well, not ruin your life, but Buffalo graduate from Buffalo High School. 
you go to college. Did you, was Wyoming your first choice? Did you shop around? And you're like, that's what everybody else does. No, my dream was to go to Florida State University. Ah. And I thought I could get in because my dad, after Vegas, moved to Florida and lived in Florida for a while. But my mom claimed me on her taxes. And so I couldn't get in state without going and living there or something, you know, something. So, and it was, wasn't cheap. No, I bet not. 12 grand a year, 60. It was something ridiculous back then. And, you know, my mom was still broke. I wasn't kidding. Wherever I was going, it was on me. So even looking back, I should have almost went to a junior college for a couple of years. I mean, I loved going to the university of Wyoming. I would never change anything that happened, but money wise, I probably would have went that route, but back then it really didn't. I mean, I don't know. The university wasn't that expensive. No. So that's good, but. Yeah, I, I, well, yeah, my dream was going to the university of Oregon and it didn't happen and I didn't get recruited to play football or any sort of scholarships. I was like, well, Wyoming will do. And it was, turns out, yeah, it's affordable. And so my parents did pay for it, but they split it. And so I didn't, I got out of school without any student loans, which was nice. And uh, except for I played for my last year. They're like, we're not paying for your sixth year. We can get it done. And so I paid for the, I paid for the last year. They're like, we got five. I did do six. The, like well, my sixth year, I split it. Like I probably could have done it. What's that? Half. I think I went five and a half. I probably could have my last, like, yeah, semesters. I could have probably put it in one semester by split up because I was paying for it. So I was working. So it just made sense to do it that way. I had no idea what I was going to do. Not a freaking clue. And so I saw people graduate and they're like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, I don't want to be that guy. I had no idea what I'm going to do. So go to the University of Wyoming. Did you always plan to be a broadcasting major? No. I, uh, well, I worked at the local radio station in high school, KBBS, the country radio station. And I always kind of wanted to be in radio or I, th- I thought I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to be like a record producer. I wanted to spin the knobs, you know, on the board that way. But for some reason I thought I had to become an electrical engineer to do that. Wow. And so I started doing, taking all these engineering classes when I was a freshman and that lasted like a semester until I was like, there's no fucking way I'm doing this for four years or six years, or I got to take physics and all this crazy stuff. And no, so that ended that. And then somebody, I, I, I think I was already taking something that swerved me or, you know, I was already taking some radio class or something where I was just like, well, I think I'm just going to go take broadcast productions and go that route. So yeah, I, I always want to do something radio, but I just didn't know how I was going to get there. And then I take my first radio class, and Don Woods, who was on oh, yeah. radio or whatever the hell it's called forever in the morning show, like the first day of class, he's like, what are you guys doing in here? Radio's dead. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, thanks, Don. 
that's great to know. I'm glad I'm a freshman in college and uh, I was going to be a radio major and a big disc jockey. And you're telling me to go find something else to do or do, you know, production or something, which I understand because the, the satellite were taken over DJ, your local radio station went from five disc jockeys to one or none. And, and they're just pretty much turning the satellite on and off. You're not doing anything else. So yeah, it was, it was a rude awakening. So that even swerved me again to television production and UW TV, which that's where I stayed. Yeah, I kind of backdoored into broadcasting a little bit. Um, I was a marketing guy in high school. I was president of DECA, which is a marketing class. And so I thought that was the route. I went into college, I'm very undeclared. And then I was like, hmm, maybe education. My dad's teach, stepmom. I have a lot of teachers in my family. But my dad talked me out of that one. I don't know how he did it, but he was like, you're not going to be a teacher. He's like, oh, it's all these bad things. And then I thought I'd been, I loved coaching and, I, and, saw, and working at camp. So I thought I'd been an all right teacher. But ah. my stepdad, who. I've been a good teacher. Went, thanks. Ran uh, the broadcasting, a lot of the broadcasting stuff, UWTV at the university. He had me working for him when I was a senior in high school. I carried equipment for the coach show and I rolled tape. Not like I, it wasn't inspiring to like continue on my career doing that didn't yeah. think about it and he's like well your first semester why don't you be an intern you already have some experience which was kind of rare for a freshman intern for uwt it's like sure he's like you'll carry equipment just learn stuff and he would literally tell the upper classmen like just pack the gear on like he's a pack mule he's a mule he's a mule i just was done playing football i was like all right by the time i was done with that i declared i took first radio TV broadcasting class, Tony Peterson. And never really thought radio would even be in my wheelhouse. I remember splicing tape together. Remember splicing reel to reel? I I used to have that somewhere. I think I still have this amazing commercial that I don't know how the hell I did it, but it had a week to do the 30 second amazing commercial reel to reel. It was because you would read it and then they'd make, and the instructor would make you cut words out of it, but yeah. you would use a razor blade. This was like an outdated technology in the nineties, let alone, you know, what it is now. And I can't imagine Don Wood saying, what are you doing here? Radio's dead. Cause it was that kind of stuff that we were still learning. We yeah. should be learning computer programming to program a station. Like, yeah, totally. Yeah before we actually get a talk on or anything like that. All the money was going to advertising in that way from the talent at the time. I get it. I was, I was, I was like, yeah, it was fun class take. That's all I thought. And we had one of those boards in KOCA, the exact one, because <laughs> it has the chalk marks on it. It was a chalk marks on it. You'd put on the knob uh, to control where you put your volume at, that what you were yeah. taught that. Oh, yeah. And so it was... I remember sitting down at KOCA. They had changed it, you know, a couple, few months in. But I was like, this is how I learned how to use a radio control. Like, it was interesting. So, um, yeah, that's, I, I just like, all right, I'm in broadcast now. And I always thought TV was the way to go. I never thought about radio because of all the stuff. We, it was dying. As far as talent went, you could do everything else and not have a radio degree. 
Yeah, unless you're really good, you have a killer voice. So you, you, I clearly could tell you were at a radio. Were you in readers and stuff at that radio station in high school? Not too much. They were clueless. All I, I mean, I, I wasn't even on the air that much. I was, I was pretty much the guy that I came in uh, at night and played the, the cowboy stampede show. And I would turn it on. I, what I would do is every top of the hour, cause you had to be like dead on. It was stupid back in the day where you had to do like a radio ID mm-hmm. and then you had to play the news cause it was 1450 AM. You had to play the ABC news at the top of the hour. So you had to hit that dead on every hour. And then I think I was on for like 30 seconds of the weather spot. You know, hey, it's 8.06. You're checking out 14.50 AM KBBS here in Buffalo, Wyoming. Tonight's weather forecast. Now back to Jimmy Joe Bob and race car status. You know, whatever the hell we were playing that night. And I would actually, what even got me more into radio, though, is because I would dial up the satellite because it was back in the day where, we, where you had the huge satellite dish up on the roof or wherever the hell it was. And you had this big board back there and all, and, and you had like half inch cables and you'd patch in just different weird shit and you dial up all these weird knobs. And I don't know how the hell we even did it, but you'd get K rock and you'd get, you know, all these stations. I don't even know how the hell you get them off this satellite, but somehow you were getting them. And I would sit there and listen to K-Rock every night. So I'd listen to this kick-ass rock station uh, and all yeah. the great rock bands and everything that was going on in rock every night. And, you know, two minutes before the top of the hour, I'd flick the station speakers back on that. and Because I would put I'd patch it through the board and I would pot it up. And I mean, it was crazy, the shit that, because I was like 16, 17 you know, the, the stuff I was doing in that radio state, it, I was recording my friends. All my friends would come. There was another room next to it. They would come. We'd make a pot of coffee. We'd sit there and smoke cigarettes because yeah. the owner guy, he smoked. So he'd just sit there and, and the, the, the owner lady, she'd smoke. So everyone, the whole place was reeked like a cigarette and coffee. So we made coffee. We'd sit there and smoke cigarettes. And they'd be playing their guitar in the other room. I'd be recording that. We'd have Z-Rock blaring. I mean, it was... It was a blast. Nice. So now we put you back in time. Now we're back to UW. All right, UW. Yeah, UW TV. And uh, so do you think, wow, uh, this is going to be my life, TV now? I, yeah, I did. And uh, I tried for a while because, you know, UW TV – we did, me and you did everything in UW TV. We were the first ones to direct a coach's show as students. I mean, we produced everything. I mean, every show there we were a part of or whatever. I don't even remember all the shit we were oh, doing yeah. the day, but and all the productions and everything. So, and I love TV. I, I, I miss TV. I, and I tried, I was, I moved to Boise, Idaho afterwards and was directing the TV I went to Boise, Idaho. Well, we moved to Florida first after college, after I got out of UW. That lasted like three months or like six months. And my wife hated it. So we moved to Boise, Idaho because she had a lead on a job. And 
she thought she was going to get the job, but we didn't know for sure. So we're actually, we, and she was just shit full of it. I was working, if you've ever been to Universal Studios Islands of Adventure in, in Orlando, Florida, uh-huh. I built a park. I worked there for like three months. We worked 12 hours a day, every day, seven days a week, because they had to get that park open. It was behind the ride. I don't think I've ever ridden the ride because every time we tested it, the dummies would come back and their heads were gone. So you're I, the one I tell that story to a lot of people. And I was like, I couldn't remember who worked there. And it was you. I can't, that's it. Yes. Yeah. I worked at Islands of Adventure. A lot of engineers were, were fired a lot at that. Yeah. They place. lost their I, heads I, that day. I almost learned Spanish in the three months that I worked there. But I believe my dad that had an in with the contractor or whoever was, I mean, I made just a ton of money. But I worked my ass off. I didn't, sl- I mean, I was a wreck because I, I drove an hour. Like I woke up at four in the morning just to beat traffic. So I'd drive uh. right there at like 4.45, five in the morning. I would sleep until seven. And then I would w- work till seven at night. And then you'd hit, you'd still hit rush hour. So I'd get home at like 9.15. I'd eat, go to sleep. I'd wake up four in the morning. I did that for like three months and Kel's just shit full of it. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready too. So. And we have some money now, so we can do whatever the hell we want to do. So she's like, okay, I think I have this job. So we're driving out and like halfway there, or even in Tennessee or somewhere, she gets the call that, hey, I, I think you're going to get the job or something. So that was good news <laughs> on the way to Boise, Idaho. So it was, it was meant to be. But when I got to Boise, I didn't have a job. So I, I think I found our place to live and then... After that, I went to I went around to the TV stations and you know I get I get a job at the shittiest TV station there, the CBS Channel Two station, at the morning show as the camera guy. Uh, yeah. So I come out, I'm the only guy with like a degree in the entire place, and I'm the morning show camera guy. So a week in, the director quits. So I'm like, well, hey, I can do that. Sweet, yeah. So. Literally, I went from camera guy the first week to directing the show like the second week in because I'm the only guy in there that has a degree or any experience. Nice. So, so it, was, it was awesome, but it was also you just got thrown in the fire and it, and it was this shithole radio or this shithole TV station that we made work. Uh, I had a great crew. It was, it was a lot of fun working there had a lot of great experiences but yeah it was uh it was a lot of smoke and mirrors which television is but it was a lot of smoke we made a lot of things work that shouldn't have worked yes uh, we made them happen but and live television news which my dream was to make it i i wanted to direct the today show that was my wow always my dream but maybe when i'm 70 so you spoke of we and your wife and kel i know who she is but how did you meet your wife? My wife and I met in the beautiful town of Buffalo, Wyoming in, uh, I, was, I don't know if I met her when I was in fourth grade or fifth grade, but yeah, we, we, we really started meeting when we were like in seventh grade and we, we were dating in eighth grade, I wow. think. Yeah. Long, wow. long time ago. All right. Now we can fast forward to you guys just moving to Boise. And you're taking over the morning show. You became the director because you got the only experience going on. So 
how long do you guys stay in Boise for? Uh, two years in Boise. Yeah. And two what moves? And then what caused you to move from Boise? You know, I don't even know. I th- well, it was it was really I was moving up the ladder because I yeah. was trying to get. I mean, the, the Today Show was really my goal. I was just trying to move up the ladder and there was something, something happened at the station or, well, I think the writing on the wall was, I was never cause the night guy was there forever. Uh, and that was, you know, if I'm not gonna, if I'm going to be stuck here, then I might, I better be do nights cause mornings suck. I mean, I went to work at three in the morning. I got off at like 11. Yeah. So it, and it's the morning show. It's a blast. But it's it's freaking it's high intensity. I mean, it's live. You're doing cut-ins. We had nine eleven. I mean, it was oh, yeah. it was well, actually, I had nine eleven in Wisconsin. But so yeah, that's that's pretty much what I was doing. Is I was I was moving up the ladder. I was trying to. They wouldn't. I, the 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 night show wasn't there. So I was like, well, it's time to move on anyway. I've been here a while. I have a resume now. Right, directed the show. I, you know, they're going to vouch for me. I have a reference. Let's move on. And that's pretty much was, was it Madison, Wisconsin. I applied a few places and Madison came calling and Madison was, you know, it was cool. Madison's a college town. Uh, and it was, and I went from the worst station, the CBS two to NBC 15, which was the best station. Nice. But, I was still stuck on the morning show or they wanted me to direct the morning show, but they were like, well, now you're on the top station. You're in a better market. You know, I was like, well, I'm in a better market. I'm on the top station. There's opportunity. They have two people at the top instead of one, you know, may, you know, who knows? So, yeah. So then I went to Madison. Nice. Yeah. I kind of feel your pain right there. Cause I, I guess my goal was probably to work at ESPN. I ended up in New York and I kind of broke my heart. I heard about ESPN. I was like, they're like, do you like sports? I'm like, well, yeah. And they're like, you'll hate working for ESPN. They work crazy hours and you hate, you don't get paid that much. And I was like, well, that sucks. And they're like, you're just constantly editing sports. And after a while, you, you just get sensitized to it. It's not your favorite teams. I was like, oh. So I started off as an editor, which was kind of a lack of, using my real talents as a cameraman by any means. And I, I wasn't going, I didn't care about going to the studio by any parts but there in New York. I was definitely coming from hot shit in Wyoming to just being another guy in their cog. And they had people that won Emmys and it was a number 12 market. Yeah. And wow. So yeah. I kind of, I got in as a freelance editor and then I got into like, I, I was working weekends and then I got, they were like, okay, now like how do you camera work? And I was like, did you not watch my reel? And so then I was, that made me cover everything, including like nine 11 and all that. And slowly I was doing covering for the sports guy and the sports department really, really dug my work. And I always might say to my horn is never shot lacrosse, never videotape lacrosse. One day they're like, we're going to go do lacrosse. And I was like, all right, didn't just sports like follow the ball. I thought that was that easy. And like, and every other sport I'd covered and they're like, okay, we're going there. Like, have you ever covered the cross? And I was like, nope, not a clue. 
they're like, oh my God. And they started kind of freaking out a little bit. We get the video back. They're like, you shoot the cross better than our sports guy. And I was like, yeah, follow the ball. I was like, I just haven't, you know, it's easy once you kind of know sports. Different game. Yeah. And so I became the heir apparent to the sports department guy. Well, he quits. But we're going through some turmoil at the station where they're cutting jobs. And so they're basically automizing their studio. And they take a studio guy that ran audio and made him a sports videographer. And because they're like, well, we're saving a job. And I was like, you're killing the product. Yeah. But, and I even had Bob Wolf, this guy who was, who interviewed Babe Ruth, Hall of Famer sports announcer, old as hell. Bat, go to bat for me. And they shot him down. And I was going through divorce, so I bailed out of New York and didn't look back on TV news, never want to work in it again. And I'm glad I work in education. So that was my little tangent. It's, it's, yeah, it's a roller coaster. Yeah. And I didn't go through all from market to market like you did, trying to chase that. I kind of just jumped markets because I knew I didn't want to work in Wyoming and I wasn't going to Denver. And so I was like, New York. And I already, I had like, I was going to get married working in New York. So I had a connection to go there and I, I, I made it work, but it burned me out, especially 9-11 part of it. And there are a lot of cool well, things. Being a camera guy, even at our stations. Yeah. You were, you were the goat in the bad way. Yeah. <laughs> you were on the run and, <laughs> and I mean, being the director, it sucked, but at least I had some power because the talent, people don't realize the talent are the biggest assholes oh. at the station. And they think they're Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston, but they're they not. They can read. Because they, yeah, they can read a teleprompter and they're, and they're good looking. You know, they have the yeah. gift of, of, of good looking. And yeah, so they're usually prima donnas or they're assholes. And usually the sports guy, he, he thinks he's king shit anyway so he's running you dry i mean every one of my sports videographers hated life because they're sports guy and and if you're in a city there's sports going on all the time so you're like dude you got to go here you got to go there oh well, there's three games going on oh well i gotta go here i gotta yeah, i gotta get video there oh, yeah. yeah so you're just like uh this sucks you don't have weekends because the games are on fridays and saturdays i mean yeah it's good times yeah yeah, I, they, they when they would lay out the schedule for me, I'd be like, "Forget how many basketball games can I do today?" Like in one, like high school basketball. Yeah, I was like, "I are they going to still be playing by the time I get there?" Because you're bouncing around a lot. Like, oh yeah, we got it going. So yeah, so you're in Wisconsin. You're directing the morning show. Um, do you have kids by then? Uh, we had Ethan, our son. In Wisconsin when we were there, yeah. In Wisconsin. So kind of setting up roots a little bit, but you obviously moved from there. Where'd you go from Wisconsin? Back to Sheridan. Back to Sheridan, wow. Or to Sheridan. I don't know. Well, yeah, lived, you're in We lived it where we we left Buffalo, where we graduated from Buffalo High School and then went to Laramie and then yeah. So, so we, we came back. Well, Kel's parents who my wife grew up in Buffalo with me. Her parents lived in Buffalo. They both worked in Sheridan. So they commuted for like a decade. Wow. So when the kids were finally gone, they finally got smart and was like, fuck this. 
were moving to Sheridan. So they finally moved to Sheridan. So that's why they were living here. And the thing was, is Ethan, our son, well, he was born and my wife wanted to get closer to her parents because of our son. So yeah. that pretty much derailed my career was having kids. Mm-hmm. Gotta make more money. And yeah, and in Wisconsin, Wisconsin, I made zero money and Wisconsin has a awful state tax that just eats you alive. I, the amount of money I made in Wisconsin, I don't know how we survived. I don't know how I went and saw as many concerts as I did. I went to so many Lodo shows, but I saw a bunch of great bands for nothing. Thank God. And it was cheap back then. But yeah, it was, uh, I don't, I don't know how we survived. My first year in New York, holding two of us holding steady jobs, I had to pay taxes. I was shocked. Shocked. I never had to pay taxes back to the government in my life. I was like, what am I doing wrong? We even went to a tax person. And I was like, I don't have anything to show for this besides just being alive. Like, that's what I had. And that's where all the money went. Wasn't going to frivolous things. I did catch a couple shows here and there. New York had them all too. So, but I was just shocked the cost of living and i was like uh you gotta it doesn't matter what you make yeah you're taking it for the the state tax yeah yeah ridiculous so now you're in back in wyoming so we moved back to sheridan so i actually i i got in touch with i worked at kbbs the radio station so Uh somehow oh my my sister-in-law at the time was selling ads at the radio station, their Sheridan branch in Sheridan. So she got me hooked up. And so I I came back and I sold radio ads for like six months. And I was like, this totally blows. We lived in this little shithole house on Illinois street here in Sheridan. And, and it sucked and I made nothing and they kept screwing me over. I kept getting all these sales and I was doing pretty good but the station never paid me I get getting screwed over. So I was like, fuck this. I'm not doing this. So then my brother who was working for the food company, being a food salesman in Buffalo, got me a job with them and I became a food rep and we moved to uh, Saratoga, Wyoming. Uh, yeah. Yes. So, wow. Saratoga. I remember those years. I'd moved back to Wyoming by then. Yeah, were you um, back in Laramie? Probably. Yes. Well, I yeah. think where in the hell were we at when you got married? You guys might have been in. Because where? What? What year did you Boise. get married? Ninety-nine. Okay, so yeah, so we were in Boise. I want to say Boise because you just drove down. Yeah, because we drove straight down to go to Rude's wedding. <laughs> yeah, I, okay, I got so, yeah, so. I got everybody in the marriage bug, and then I bailed after about three years of marriage. <laughs> Suckers. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Rick. Yeah. Made my life miserable for yep. 20 years. <laughs> what? So, yeah. So, back. So, okay. So, yeah. In Saratoga, that was 2002. I moved back till 2003. So, yeah. So, and we were there for like two years or so. And then we moved to Loveland. I was in Loveland for like, a year and a half, two years. And then we moved to Laramie. I was in Laramie for a year. And then Ethan was going to be five. 
and going to start kindergarten. And we said, well, we got to figure something out. And then Kel's dad was going to retire. I was thinking about it or yada, yada. And then I fell into taking over his insurance agency. Wow. Wait. Okay. When was Chloe born? Where? Your daughter. She was born in Loveland. So yeah, she was born in Loveland in, uh, what, 2005. So not a lot of people know what a food rep does. Um, it's a very interesting job, but you know, people don't realize it takes uh, a bit of organization, a bit of sales to get food from manufacturers into restaurants, into stores. So what do you have to do for that? Yeah. Yeah. You don't realize all the shit that goes on behind the scenes of a restaurant or a grocery store or whatever, but I was just the salesman. So I would go around. I pretty much, I was in my car 90% of the time I drove 60,000 miles a year. Cause I'd go from Saratoga to Rollins to Laramie to, I mean, back and forth all the time. And, uh, yeah, you just, I'd go, I'd hit like 10, 12 places a day of restaurants. I'd take everybody's order. I'd punch them in on my laptop. And back then there was no Wi-Fi or it was all, you had to plug it in. So when I was in Laramie, I'd go to Shauna's house because she was gone and I'd go and I'd, and I'd, I'd unplug her wall telephone and I'd plug my computer in and I'd use it. When I was in Rollins, I'd go to the Aspen house, one of my customers and I'd use their, you know, so I had little spots in every town I was at, cause you didn't have, you couldn't go to Walt McDonald's and just, cause you had to get your orders in by four and you had to transmit them over. So yeah, it was a lot of bullshitting. You know, you were, you were customer service, you were a salesman, you were punching in orders, you were, and even back then they don't do it as much. They, they should more. I had to deliver. I'd help the truck a lot because he was always behind or Rollins. The winters are terrible. The fucking snow's awful. You know, it's brutal winters. So yeah, you, you wear a lot of hats, especially when you're out in the middle of nowhere. Wow. Yeah. I remember you doing a lot of those downloads and talking to oh. companies and such, but it kept you busy. And I thought you were going to stick out for a while, but yes, you, got the opportunity to take over for your father-in-law's insurance company. Um, another new job for you to learn. <laughs> yeah. I remember you studying for these, the, the insurance tests and such, but you got to be closer to, you know, your parents, your mom, you know, your kids got to grow up around your mom and, and your wife's parents too. So that's not, I mean, it's pretty good. I, was moved away from a lot of my relatives to Wyoming. My relatives are on the West coast. So I didn't have a luxury of growing up around a lot of them. So I'm always jealous of such people that get those things, but also some of my relatives weren't the best to grow up around. So I dodged some bullets there. Um, so I now live around my mom though. That was always my goal was to get the hell. Oh no. Yeah. Out of here. But Oh, well, but you're not, yeah, you're not necessarily back in the same town, but close enough. Yeah. Yeah. At least I'm not in Buffalo. Yeah. That's yeah. True. So now that you, how long have you been in Sheridan? Uh, since I took over September of 20, 2007. 2007. Four and a half years. 
Wow. Almost 13. Yeah. Time flies. And so are you, are you loving the insurance business or is it just, you know, pays the bills? I, lo- I just love the insurance business. <laughs> I love my job. It's the greatest thing ever. I love the public. No, I mean, it's, it's a job. It's, you know, right. I've learned to love it for 12 years. Like you said, I had to learn a new job when I took over. So I come, I, I, I like was there in July of 2007. August, I went to training. I took over September 1st as like the agency owner, you know, the head agent, because Bob was retiring. He went on vacation literally like four days or something after I took over. He never came back. <laughs> so he, all this, he was going to stick around for six months, a year, you know, tell, show me everything. No. no he was out there. The lady that worked with him worked like part-time. So she... And she wasn't interested. All this stuff I learned in training, cold calling, all this stuff, you know, they'd been coasting the last couple of years. She wasn't interested in doing anything that I wanted to teach her and all this great stuff that I'd learned at training. She's like, eh, yeah, I'm going to sit here and read my book. Well, I, I'm not going to pay you to read your book. So yeah, it was, it was a fun time. It was, it was learned by fire of a job that I never thought I would do, but you know, I never thought I'd sell food either. So it was, you know, I'm MacGyver, I guess. I'm MacGyver. Yeah. Hey, you can. I think that's what college kind of tre- teaches you that you probably could pick up another skill. It kind of gives you a robust, um, not at least be a critical thinker and be like, okay, I can tackle something like this, or at least I've taken enough tests, I can regurgitate enough information that I could do this. And so, you know, I know I don't. There's not many people I know that actually we graduated with or went to school with that are still in broadcasting or anywhere near it. Um, no. I, I, I work would, in IT. I mean, I, we, we are, I am kind of, I guess. Yeah. I was uh, about to get into that. Yeah. Not, not as much as I would like to be or Yeah. It's, it's impossible to do that in Wyoming. So, Oh yeah, folks, if you didn't know, well, actually we can tell that story later. Um, but I'm going to ask you about cowboy Joe radio. And how did that get started? A lot of you guys may know his voice from Cowboy Joe Radio and a lot of the shows and a lot of interviews. He's done that station where you were broadcaster of the year too. I do believe I was radio happened. personality of the year for 2019 for Social Stars. Nice. Thank you, Social Stars. I was very humbled. I was also the, the radio personality in the 2019 Lego Music Awards. <laughs> there you go. So my, my Lego figure. Uh, has won as well, and I am up right now for the ISA. Uh, well, we like, I mean, I don't, I don't understand it. It says Jeff Rick at Cowboy Joe Radio. We're kind of all up because it's radio station of the year is Cowboy Joe Radio. It just has my name with, I don't know, but that's cool. Your lead dog, I get it exactly. So, we'll, we'll all take congratulations on that if we bring that thing home. Hopefully, nice. we will. So, yes, a little bit. Well, Cowboy Joe Radio really came about is when we were going to wrestling back when we go to Denver, Colorado and Eric Askins was going with us and Eric and I were driving home or something. And we were talking about radio and he had dabbled in radio or he was on the college radio station and, and the radio sucks around here when we're in Wyoming and, and we're just like, well, Hey, maybe we should start a radio station. 
like, oh, that'd be kind of cool. And then all like a couple days later, he calls me and he's like, well, let's do this. You want to start a radio station? I was like, oh, okay. But we looked into doing FCC and like an actual legit radio station, but it's, it's a freaking joke unless, I mean, you got to dump in a hundred grand or something to get a tower. You got to have all these regulations. You got to do all this bullshit. And, and then you have, I mean, you have to run a business. You have to sell ads. You have to sustain it because you're not going to, because it costs you too damn much money to pay for everything. So we're like, well, maybe this ain't going to work. So we went the, we looked into internet radio and you can pretty much run an internet radio station for pennies or a hundred bucks a month or however you want to do it, whatever you want to pump into it. And that's the route we took is ran an internet radio station and four and a half years later, here we go. We're still on, which <laughs> we'll see what the future holds. I mean, sure. I'm talking about interviews though. And, and if, the takeover on Wednesday nights, CowboyJoeRadio.com, 6 until 8 o'clock, Mountain Standard Time. I have done I don't, I've probably 200 interviews now I'm up to of different artists. Every week I have at least one artist. The next two weeks I have two artists. We go around the world. I talk, The other day I talked to a guy in Vienna, Austria. I talked to a guy in Chicago. I talked to a guy in Wisconsin. I talked to a guy in, in New York the other week or last week. I talked to a guy in LA. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, if you do, if you want to hear interviews like Rude's doing here on the podcast of shit, you don't hear everywhere else. Yeah. Check out CowboyJoeRadio.com for sure. Well, I was just shocked that the name wasn't snatched up that we, that, that you could have CowboyJoeRadio.com as a name. And we don't play, we don't have a country show, which cracks me up because a lot of people instantly think that. Yeah, the name, it kind of, it, it handcuffs a little bit because of the, the cowboy connotation with people, but. At least beyond Wyoming. Bad. Yeah, beyond Wyoming. But then cause, uh, some bands are like, it, oh, it's kind of, you know, it, it's cool too at the same time. And some people just don't even give a shit because if you go and look at the internet radio station list, you're like, what the fuck are half of these names? <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't really, you got to get something catchy and it, it kind of works. It is like when I say CowboyJoeRadio.com, like it just comes out of my mouth. Like I'm about to do a promo for yeah. the show. So CowboyJoeRadio.com. It flows. it flows. And if folks, if you didn't know, and I know, you know, because that's why you're listening to this is yes. I have a couple shows on Cowboy Joe Radio. I promote them well enough. And uh, kind of led me into wanting to do a podcast. I guess you do those interviews. And I wasn't getting any musicians in like you were. I just have time. And I was like, well, my friends, my friends are interesting. I want to talk to them. And also, I don't want to pay for the music. So I was like, podcast time. And I planned on like traveling around with this show. But then we got the COVID. And Zoom has made it. Well, you can do this with a lot of artists would still yeah. do it. You'd be yeah. But I still want to travel. Travel. I mean, I, once I get some more friends, and I mean, I have friends that are artists as well that I just want to hear their stories too. Because I've been, I mean, living on both coasts and here in Wyoming, meet some interesting people along the way, and they deserve to be on a podcast. Not all celebrities need to be podcasted. Us, the regular folk that drive the society and work in insurance, and I work in IT, and 
we're gonna, this is generally the last question that usually tangents into more stuff. How did we meet? How did you and I meet? Yeah. I, I think from Josh and wrestling is how we met. Well, uh, well, I think we met, well, we had to have met, met or met meet or whatever through meted <laughs> edited through broadcasting somehow through oh, University yeah. of Wyoming. I mean, we would have met through UW TV if we didn't already. I think we had, I, I think the main connection though came after you were living with Josh and Josh was living at my house <laughs> at the same time. And he just kind of put us together because we, because we were back. That was the UW TV days. It had to have been because Josh was around because that was like my second year of school. Third. No, that would have been my third, third. maybe even fourth. Yeah. Third year of school. Yeah. Wait, so 95, wait, 95 was his junior year. Yeah. 96. I lived down there. Yeah. So yeah, it should have been my downtown. Yeah. Cause Josh was gone after 96. Yeah. His education is number one. I'm holding up two fingers. People education is number one. <laughs> Taylor, Taylor would say that. Um, yeah. Josh Walwark, if you guys didn't know, um, name drop, we're going to get him on the show. I'm going to get him on the show eventually. Um, he, I, I became roommates with him because I needed a roommate and we're, I was going to baseball games is a weird, and he's a broadcasting major too, but I think I was a year, at least a TA for him probably. And so we were all just hanging out. And then I remember moving to that apartment, wrestling's on one night and he leaves your house, which is, you know, half a block away, comes in, yeah. I'm watching it. And he's like, you're watching this shit? Go watch it with Rickett. And I was like, wrestling fan. Uh, that's awesome. That is awesome broadcasting fan yankee fan yeah. as you yeah. sit here yankee fan All we watched connection. yeah i was a yankee fan at the time too i still am but i'm watching them play the braves i'm watching at your apartment lobdell chad and i brought up this in our interview about that apartment and it, he, what he called the freak show i never really put a name on it um the bat cave is the bat cave it. yeah it, it was upstairs all downtown apartments were up a flight of stairs and it was every Jerry Garcia TV, weird masks that came out of the wall, a, a third room that was built in the living room for your- so The dining house. room was converted dining to another room, yeah. bedroom. Yeah. And random Buffalo people passed out <laughs> on your couch any given time or just any given person. I've been that guy once and I lived half a block away. And it was a- very interesting place and that's where i met like all of buffalo and so when i run yeah. into them and we that's go to perfect. concerts today they're like i think i met you at ricketts apartment downtown and i was like yeah sure like i was like if you remember that place you really don't remember that place <laughs> you remember walking in but i don't know yeah. if you remember walking out yeah i was like yeah, i don't know it was a trip it was the craziest coolest oh fuck i mean i had to just finally move out because yeah. it was we had to, i mean luke and i just finally had to sit down one day and be like dude we're gonna die get arrested 
or die if we stay here. I mean, it, it just, and it was the greatest time. I mean, and you, like you said, there was a guy, when I moved in there, there, it was like the first night I was by myself. Nobody was there. And this was when Jay, cause Jay lived, it was me, Luke, it was me and Luke always. And then Jay, who was from Sheridan, Wyoming, who was like 10 years older than we were. He was like 30. And I, I think, I don't even know if I was 21 yet. Might've been, I think I might've been 21 when I, by the, by I was, I tell I was there, I was 21, but uh, so we always had him around and he was fucking crazy too. And then when he moved out, Oz moved in Toby and changed the dining room to the, so the first year it was actually a dining room and the living room and it was a little more open than the second year. Well, no, cause the first year actually Luke lived out there and it was sheets. And then when Oz moved in, we, we actually built walls. <laughs> Didn't even ask nothing, just built walls around there. And it was in the first night I was there, I was by myself. And ever since then, and the three of us that were like living there, I think there was about two, like one or two nights ever in the two and a half years or so I was there that it was just the three of us that actually <laughs> lived there, staying there. There was always Dahl, Cody, Scott Rogers. I mean, whoever, Larry. I mean, there was always somebody passed out on our couch or, or a female. I mean, there was always... Well, I, Luke was in a band. Yeah. And so since a band in the living room, we had a keg in the frit in the kitchen every day. So this, and the apartments downtown, you're usually above a business. Well, the business would shut down. Yeah. So you could practice loud as you want. So you had like a house band. Yeah. At the place, drum set up, everything. And kind of, yeah, I talked about it in Chad's a little bit. Uh, the podcast where there were the other there were two guys from Buffalo in the band and two guys from Laramie in the band and I just started hanging out with you and I was like what the fuck I'm hanging out with Laramie guys again like <laughs> and I knew Larry a little bit and but I knew Bill Bill was like my best friend in high school but we yeah, kind of yeah we kind of I was a year older and I went out to college and started drinking and doing crazy stuff. And he was still in high school. We got a girlfriend and that girlfriend kind of split the wedge. And she was in the, the girl that was with him in the band. And she was like the Yoko. And I remember them showing up and I was just like, ah, oh. and I tried to hang out with him again and talk to him, but she was not having a whole lot of our friendship going on again. So she didn't like any of us. If yeah. Was girl. Yeah. She didn't like much anybody. No. So, but yeah, Larry was, yeah, he was, I got a, a, a lesser version of Tommy Lee and yeah, totally. drank himself to death. Yeah. Drank he himself to death. Drank beer. Fucking. He woke up and started drinking beer easily. He was crazy. But the band was called medicine tree. We, you and I shot a video for them. If anybody's listening to this and you have a cut of that video, send it to Jeff or I as soon as I possible. I know he, Oz has something. Who has it? Does Oz, Oz. have Do you have something. one? No. You don't have a copy at all. No. So is it Luke and Oz, or is it Luke and I hope Casey doesn't because he burnt his house down. Well, maybe Rest hopefully. In peace. Hopefully it's. And uh, he's no longer with us, so who the hell yeah. knows? That thing's gone. Oz has admitted to having something. We just got to make. And we movies. filmed the concert at Mingles. <laughs> yes. So that's out there too somewhere. 
that's the tape I'm looking for. At least there's one <laughs> video cut because we cut together a song. Two cameras, yeah. Yeah. Has it. That would be classic if we had a copy of that. And if we still had the copy of us calling Nitro with Ryan Cawthorn, that'd be the good yeah. one to have released to the world. <laughs> yeah. You need to get Cawthorn on here. Yeah, I will. Ryan, if you are listening, love to get you on the show. Contact me any way you can, I social media. Um, yeah, if you're listening, love to have you on the show. Love to hear your story. Friends, I'm still looking for an artist or artist to provide some transition music between my intros and then again before my close like I'm doing right now. Please get a hold of me if you're that artist or know of an artist that would be interested. My social media is as such. Facebook, DJ Rude Entertainment. Twitter is Jammin, J-A-M-M-I-N underscore DJ underscore Rude. That's Jammin DJ Rude on Twitter. L Rude Arena on Instagram. Then you got RudeZilla68 on Snapchat. PM, DM me. Send me a text. Call me up if you are that person that can provide the music or know somebody that could give me that music. And if we make it big, I'll take it with you and I'll talk about you and I'll plug your your music always through my shows as long as this show lasts. You got it? Deal. Get a hold of me. Now, Jeff and I, we need to do a part two. So we can cover the last 10 years of his life. It's been pretty interesting. I've been there for a lot of it. If you haven't already taken a listen to CowboyJoeRadio.com, both Jeff and I put a lot of work in the station. So go listen to it. After you get done listening to this podcast, we play all kinds of music, and it's free to listen to. Take a listen. You may just like what you hear. On to the next podcast.